The Old Testament reading is Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. We are continuing our study of the book of Romans. And this morning we are at Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Romans six fifteen through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There is nothing more discouraging or deflating in the Christian life than uh, to fail in our ongoing struggle against uh, temptation and sin. Uh, For example, we might find that there are certain habits of thinking that we know are not biblical, we know are not of the Spirit of Christ, but we uh, find ourselves in these habits or patterns of thinking and it seems almost impossible to overcome. Or the sinful passions of our hearts uh, lead us uh, to speak and to act uh, in a way that we, we soon regret. Or we get so, we get so consumed with our own uh, interests uh, that we fail uh, to consider the interest of others and we fail to love and to serve others. Or in anxious or in uncertain circumstances, uh, rather than trusting in the Lord, we, we act or we think in, in unbelief. And in this struggle with sin, uh, when we fall short, when we stumble, when we sin, uh, we may even be, begin to wonder to ourselves, uh, will I ever have victory over this sin? Uh, how am I different from an unbeliever? Uh, what good is my Christianity if I still sin in this way? 
And when you are troubled by these kinds of questions, when you feel defeated, deflated because of sin, the first thing to do is to tell yourself again uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself, preach to yourself uh, the gospel, uh, that uh, the death of Jesus, it removes uh, the guilt of your sin from you. Uh, In Jesus Christ, uh, you are forgiven. And for the sake of Christ, God continues to forgive you as you confess your sin to him. We heard that wonderful promise uh, from 1 John earlier. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in our struggle with sin, uh, when we fail, when we stumble, uh, we need to hear again the good news of the gospel that Jesus died to take away our sin, to take away the guilt of it. But that same gospel is also good news that Jesus died to take away the controlling power of sin, uh, the mastery of sin over us. Now, as Christians, we will continue to struggle uh, with sin for the rest of our lives. We will always have this indwelling presence of sin within us. But in Christ, we have been delivered once for all from the dominion or the tyranny or the controlling power of sin over us. Now, sometimes you and I may not feel like that. Uh, There may be times when you don't feel like you've been delivered from the power of sin, that you're still very much under the grip or control of sin. And that's why our struggle against sin can be sometimes so very discouraging. But the truth that this passage declares to us, what the Word of God declares to you and me this morning is that in Jesus Christ, by faith in Christ, you have been delivered from the power of sin over you. You have been redeemed from the tyranny of sin. Christ has freed us from the power of sin. And so as a Christian, you are no longer enslaved to sin. And that is the the message uh, from Uh, these verses this morning. As we look at this passage, we're going to uh, follow the logic uh, of the Apostle Paul by uh, summarizing his argument in in three uh, truth statements, three statements of truth. His his argument is very simple. First of all, one, by nature we are slaves to sin. Uh, Two, uh, Jesus frees us from slavery to sin and makes us slaves of God. And three, uh, because in Christ we are slaves to God, therefore we must devote ourselves uh, to serving God. So the first truth that this passage uh, gives us is that by nature, we are slaves to sin. Uh, Before our passage, um, in the first half of chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, uh, the Apostle Paul explains that because uh, we are united to Jesus Christ by faith, uh, we are united to Jesus both in his death and in his resurrection. And therefore, in Christ, because we have died with Christ, we have, been, uh, we have died to the power of sin over us. But not only that, we have been raised up with Christ that we might walk in the newness of life. And so in the first part of chapter 6, then, uh, Paul sets forth for us this, this wonderful truth that as believers in Christ, we have been united to Jesus. We are in union with him, both in his death and his resurrection. And Paul ends that section, that first half of chapter 6, in verse 14 by saying this. He says, For sin will have no dominion over you, 
since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what does it mean that as a Christian, you are not under the law, but you are under grace? Well, to be under the law means that a person who is under the law, his hope of salvation is that he will keep the commandments of God. His hope of obtaining eternal life is by perfectly obeying God's commandments. But this is no hope at all, and it's no hope at all for us because of our sin. Because we are sinners, we naturally break the law of God. In fact, we can do nothing other than break the law of God because of our sin. And so in our sin, we are subject to the law's condemnation because invariably we transgress the commandments of God. And what's more, the law is powerless to take away our sin. The law is powerless to do anything about this reigning sin within us. In fact, we have already learned in Romans that when we are confronted with the law of God, our sin only increases. Because where the law comes in, sin increases. And so to be under the law means we are helplessly, we are hopelessly under the reign, the power of sin. But to be under grace means that our hope of salvation is in a different place. It's not in our keeping the commandments of God, but our hope of salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ kept that law for us. He bore the condemnation of the law on our behalf when he died upon the cross. But not only that, but by the grace of God, Christ gives us his Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, he enables us to begin to truly keep God's commandments. He breaks that power of sin over us by his spirit. And so to be under grace means to be free from the control of sin over us. And so Paul says again in verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Now as you might imagine, when the Apostle Paul, when he proclaimed this truth in his preaching and teaching, that in Christ we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace, especially when Paul proclaimed this truth to his fellow Jews who were so devoted, at least in their minds, to keeping the law of God. As you can imagine, there were those who objected vehemently, strenuously, to what Paul was saying. Because what they heard Paul saying was this, because of the grace of God, we no longer need to keep God's commandments. What they heard was a message of antinomianism. That's a big word that means against the law. They heard Paul saying that as Christians, as those who belong to Christ, because we are under grace, therefore, the law of God is no longer valid for us. We are no longer obligated to keep God's commandments. And so the opponents of Paul, they took what they thought Paul was saying to its logical conclusion, and they said, okay, if we're not under law, But in Christ, we are under grace. Then why don't we just go on sinning? Let's just keep on sinning because the law doesn't apply to us and we are saved by grace. And that's the objection that Paul deals with now in verse 15, the first verse of our passage. And he says in verse 15, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And again, Paul responds to this, first of all, by using this this very strong exclamation that we have already heard him uh, say in Romans. 
It's translated in the English Standard Version as by no means. By no means. The King James Version captures the spirit a little bit better. God forbid. God forbid. God forbid that we should continue in sin so that grace or uh, that we should continue in sin because we are not under law, but under grace. Now, at this point, Paul could have gone on here uh, to explain that uh, not to be under the law uh, does not mean that we are somehow free from the obligation to keep the commandments of God. In fact, Paul will go on later in his letter to the Romans to affirm the ongoing validity of the law of God for Christians, that we are still bound to keep God's commandments. And so in chapter 7, verse 12, Paul says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And he'll say in chapter 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so Paul is no antinomian. Uh, The gospel of God's free grace to us in Jesus Christ, though it is a gospel of grace in that we are delivered from uh, the penalty of the law, it is not a gospel that somehow frees us from keeping the law. The gospel does not abolish the need for us as Christians to obey God's commandments. So Paul could have taken that tack and responded to this objection in this way by saying, no, no, when I say not in law, I'm not saying that we are somehow not obligated to keep God's commandments. But that's not what Paul does, not here. Rather, Paul answers this objection. He he grounds or he, he roots his answer to this objection in something far more profound, something far more comprehensive. And his answer is rooted in the truth that as creatures... As creatures whom God has made to be servants, to be worshipers, it is an inevitable, it is an unavoidable reality that you and I, we will give ourselves to be bondservants. We will give ourselves to service. Either we will give ourselves to serve God, and that's what God created us to do. He created us to give ourselves to serve Him, and we will do that, or we will give ourselves to serve sin. And of course, this is what we actually do. By nature, apart from grace, we have given ourselves to be servants of sin. And notice how Paul lays out these two options as the only two options. These are the only two alternatives. Either we will serve God or we will serve sin. There is no middle ground. There is no third way. He says in verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? What are the two options? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so what these verses are saying is that there are only two categories of people. And every single one of us falls into one of those categories. Either a person is a servant of sin, or he is a servant of God. And apart from grace, apart from Christ... All of us, by nature, fall squarely into the first category. We are born servants of sin. We are, by nature, enslaved to sin. In our natural, fallen, corrupt condition in which we are born, we are not a morally good people who sometimes stumble into sin. We are not basically upright people who sometimes make mistakes or, or sin. 
Neither is it the case case that we are born with a heart that is neutral, uh, that will choose one or the other. Rather, we are born with a heart that is evil, a heart that chooses to sin and only to sin. We are not born morally, spiritually neutral or good, but we are born morally, spiritually corrupt. And so what this means is that our our sinful thoughts, our sinful words and actions, uh, these are just the the outflow, the product of what is true within about our hearts, that by nature we are corrupt, we are sinful, our heart is evil. And this sinful condition The Bible tells us, this passage tells us, is captivity. It is bondage. We are by nature obedient slaves to sin. And this is what Jesus meant when he said in John 8, 34, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What Jesus says there is that apart from from Christ, apart from God, uh, the sin that we commit, this is just a demonstration, this is a proof that that we are, by nature, slaves to sin. Now, we see this enslaving power of sin most clearly uh, in those who have serious addictions. Um, We've all known people, or perhaps this has been true of yourself, uh, people who were very visibly enslaved to some uh, powerful addiction, addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling. Um, These kinds of addictions, it's very evident that they are, uh, they are a form of bondage. They are a form of slavery. Uh, they are self-destructive. But even for those who are not in the throes of some kind of life-destroying addiction, apart from Christ, if they do not belong to Christ, they are also slaves to sin. Uh, many people today uh, claim that they are their own master that they serve no God, they serve no person, they serve no thing, but they only do what they will to do. Uh, I recently saw a sticker on a car that um, kind of captured the spirit of this way of thinking. Uh, My life, my rules. And this sounds like true freedom. There's something appealing to that. It sounds like uh, true liberty, uh, to, to call your own shots, to make your own rules, to live according to your own desires, your own wisdom and wishes. But this is just another way to serve sin. Because when we serve ourselves in that way, really we are just serving our own sinful desires. This is just as much a bondage to sin as the most destructive addiction is. And although by nature we are slaves to sin, Unlike any kind of human slavery, this spiritual bondage in which we are born is one that we have chosen for ourselves. We have voluntarily submitted uh, to this slavery. In verse 16, Paul uses the language of presenting yourselves to someone or something as obedient slaves. Uh, In the same way, in verse 19, he says, just as you once presented uh, your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness... And so we have chosen, we have chosen the slavery for ourselves. We have brought this upon ourselves. We have submitted to sin as our master. But now we are in bondage. We are not free to choose otherwise. And the master that we have chosen is a cruel master. He pays his wages, to be sure, but his wages is death. 
Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Verse 16, sin leads to death. Uh, Verses 20 and 21, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And this death is not just the physical death that we must endure in this world, but it includes the death that we must die if we are not saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is the death of an internal existence, suffering the pains and miseries of God's wrath against us because of our sin. This is the wages of sin. This is where slavery of sin inevitably leads to, apart from the grace of God, eternal destruction, eternal death. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And this is the dreadful plight that each of us has been born into in this this world. We have chosen to serve sin, and therefore we are in bondage to sin. And though in our uh, spiritual blindness and in the the fallenness of our human nature, uh, it seems natural, it seems right, but nevertheless, the end of this way, this way of bondage to sin, it leads to death, everlasting death. But as Paul says in verse 17, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he has not left us in this uh, condition, in this state. But he has delivered us from sin and death. He has rescued us from our captivity. He has given us his son to be our savior. And this is the second truth that... um, that we'll consider as we, as we consider Paul's logic, his argument here. The second truth is this, that Jesus frees us from slavery to make us slaves of God. So when Jesus, the Son of God, when he died, the death that he died upon the cross, he died in order to be a sacrifice, to make atonement for our sins, to take away the guilt, the condemnation that was ours because of our sin. However, he died also in order to free us to free us from forever and ever from the power, from the control of sin. Uh, we saw this last week in the verses we looked at. Because as a believer in Christ, you are united to Christ in his death. You have died with him. And when you died with Christ, you died to the power of sin over you. Uh, if you can go back in chapter 6 and look at verses 6 and 7. Uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has died, that's us, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And so if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, this is what the scripture is proclaiming to you, the word of God is saying to you, that you have been released from this bondage. You are no longer in slavery to sin. Now, again, to be sure, there is still indwelling sin in us that we deal with, that we struggle with. Uh, We are not delivered yet from the presence of sin, but we have been delivered by the grace of God from the power of sin. John 8, 36, Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this freedom that Christ has purchased for us, this freedom that uh, we, we now have because of Christ. This is a cause for us to rejoice and to give thanks to God. Uh, we sang, uh, oh, for a thousand tongues, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. 
And why do we sing the glories of our Redeemer's praise? Because in the fourth stanza, he breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. A thousand tongues would not be sufficient. A million tongues would not be sufficient for us uh, to adequately give praise and thanks and to express the joy that is ours. That in Jesus Christ, we have been set free. We are no longer captive. We are no longer in bondage to sin. But we can't forget that our freedom in Christ is not some kind of absolute freedom in which we are no longer servants at all, free to please ourselves as as we see fit, but rather the freedom that we have in Christ is that we have been delivered from one kind of slavery. Uh, We have been delivered into another kind of slavery. As a believer in Christ, you have been rescued from the cruel master of sin whose service leads to death, but you have been delivered unto Christ, a good, a gracious, a loving master whose service leads to eternal life. Uh, Paul says in verses 17 and 18, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Uh, He's referring there to the gospel and the gospel with all of its implications for life, the standard of teaching. And then he says in verse 18, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You have been set free from sin in only in order to be made a slave of righteousness. And this is why, back in verse 15 then, if we can go back up to that verse, this is why the Apostle Paul rejected with such vehemence the idea that since we are not under law but under grace, that we can go on sinning. Now, why is that thought, why is that idea so abhorrent, so unthinkable? It's because to be under grace means that you have been set free from serving sin in order that you may serve Christ and righteousness. And so it is absolutely contrary to what God's saving grace is all about to think that grace is somehow a license to sin. Rather, grace is freedom from sin in order to serve Righteousness to be a servant of God. And because the grace of God is true freedom, and this is true freedom, uh, this is, this is you know, partly why the gospel of God is so gracious. It's pure grace because it frees us. But this is a particular, uh, we have to understand this freedom. It's a freedom that brings us life and joy and peace in this life. Uh, It's a freedom that uh, leads to that that consummate life and joy and peace that will be ours in the world to come. It's It's a freedom in which we enjoy the blessed communion with God the Father and Christ His Son even in this life. And because of all these things, because this is the freedom that we have been delivered unto, uh, Paul acknowledges in these verses that the idea of slavery is not, is not the ideal way to describe the goodness of God's grace to us. This is what he means when he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to grasp this concept. I want you to understand this. And I'm going to speak of it in terms of slavery. But you've got to, you've got to forget all of the awful uh, associations, all of the negative connotations that come with human slavery. 
Because this kind of slavery is altogether different from that. This is a slavery that is true, genuine, lasting freedom for you, believer. And so in Christ, you are genuinely free. But again, that freedom is a freedom to serve, to serve God, to obey God's commandments, to worship God. But Paul says in verse 17, he describes our service and obedience to God as from the heart. He says, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The more that you, as a believer in Christ, serve the Lord, give yourself to his service and worship from the heart, the freer you become. That is where you find true freedom. And the promise that God makes to you is that in glory, when you have been delivered not only from the power of sin, which you already have been, but you will also be delivered from the presence of sin, when there will be no more sin to hinder you whatsoever, then in glory you will be perfectly free in order to serve, to worship, to know God and to know Christ. And that is true freedom. In that state of glory in which you will be set free forever from all sin, in order to give yourself entirely to the Lord Jesus, the passage calls this freedom and this, uh, this condition that will be ours in, in glory, it calls it eternal life. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Uh, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the second truth then, as we consider Paul's argument here, is that Jesus frees us from slavery to sin to make us slaves to God, which, as we have seen, is a slavery that is true freedom. The third truth is what we might call the application or exhortation that flows naturally from this. And that is this, because in Christ we are slaves of God, we must devote ourselves to serving God. Paul says in verse 19, he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That's what Paul is saying. When, when you were a slave to sin, you gave yourself to sin. You presented your members, your body, yourself, Uh, to serve sin. But now that you are a slave of God, now that you belong to a new master, give yourself to him and to his righteousness. Present the members of your body as slaves uh, to Christ. Uh, We could be more specific. Uh, Give your eyes uh, to see uh, the many needs around you and how you may minister to those needs. Uh, Give your ears uh, to hear the word of God. Uh, Give your ears Uh, to listen to a brother or sister uh, who is suffering or struggling. Uh, Give your hands uh, to serve others in the body of Christ. Uh, Give your feet to take you where Christ is present, where he is being worshipped and served. Now, Paul, in verse 19, he he speaks specifically of of presenting our our members, our our body, our physical body, uh, to Christ as as servants. But, But really, the commandment, by implication at least, involves our entire being. Uh, the spirit of this commandment is, is captured very well by uh, the motto uh, that John Calvin used as his own, his, his own personal motto. 
and that was my heart. I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. My heart, my life, all that I have, I, I offer to you, Lord, for your service. And that is the mindset of a true servant of Christ. And that mindset begins by faith. It begins by faith, by coming to Jesus both as your Savior and as your Lord. And this is the Jesus who calls us uh, to himself. Not just the one who saves us from our sin, but the one who calls us to serve him and to find life in serving him. Uh, Jesus calls uh, to all sinners. He calls to you and me. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Jesus says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Are you heavy, heavy laden with the guilt of sin? Uh, come to Jesus. Uh, he will give you rest. He will give you rest for your soul. He will take away that the burden of guilt from off your shoulders. Uh, but Jesus also says, when he says, come to me, he says, take my yoke upon you. Uh, the yoke of Jesus is obedience to his word. It is a service to him as your Lord. Uh, but this is not hard service. This is not cruel service. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you come to Jesus as your Savior, serving him as your Lord becomes your delight. This is why John says in 1 John 5, 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And so when you come to Jesus, when you hear those words of his gracious invitation and come to him, you come not to part of Jesus, but you come to the whole Jesus, the whole Christ. The same Jesus who forgives the guilt of your sins is the Jesus who becomes your new master so that you no longer serve sin, but you serve him as your savior. And so with Jesus, there is hope for you, even when you sin. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have, you have this hope. Although you struggle, although you stumble, Jesus is always there, ready to forgive. And he is continually at work in you by his spirit to enable you more and more to live in that blessed freedom that he has purchased for you by his dying for you on the cross. Let's pray.